unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. And last week, you left me with a cliffhanger, and I've been kind of waiting on pins and needles to get into this week's episode. Uh, You said it was going to be about the biggest marketing mistake people make, and I'm I'm just I'm sitting here in anticipation. Yeah, well, um, it it is. And by the way, this is a mistake a lot of people make deliberately. For I would say sometimes well intentions, but misguided reasons. So let me start by something Ted Nicholas said. And for people who are sort of new to this world of direct response copywriting, Ted was an amazing pioneer. I think he's in his late 70s or 80s now, lives in Switzerland. Um, He was um, just killing it as a copywriter and as a product creator in the 70s you know, a long time ago, 40s years ago, 40 some years ago. And um, he also started a newsletter um, about 20 years ago. I I learned a lot from him, spoke on the stage with him once, really considered that an honor. And Ted said something very simple. He said, you can go broke selling people what they need, but you can make a fortune selling them what they want. He said again, you can go broke selling people what they need, but you can make a fortune selling people what they want. And what he meant by that, what he meant by that was don't try to tell people what they want. They know what they want. You might, you might uh, conceive of something that you want to sell them, and you might talk yourself into the idea that they need it. Forget about it. Um, I'm going to get way into this, um, but first, here's something I want to tell you. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So what Ted was talking about is a fatal mistake many marketers, hopefully not you, make. Trying to sell people something you want to sell them that they don't want themselves. And that's why I call that selling something they need. They don't really need it. You think they need it. They may or may not really need it. Maybe you hope they'll want it. I'm calling this a huge marketing mistake from the point of view of a direct marketer. And the, the reality is we're very much a small, and I would say smart minority in the business world and in the marketing world, direct marketers. We are. Um, most people in business and most people in marketing, they either try to guess what people want or they try to dictate what people want rather than find out what they people already know they want, and then find a better way to sell it to those people. Now, Forbes magazine, which 
I think, you know, is a very authoritative and well-researched business publication says that eight out of 10 new businesses fail. Eight out of 10. Uh, That's not a very good batting average, right? And I think trying to sell people something they don't want is a major reason for that. And let's talk about my neighbors that away to the south, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley almost goes entirely on this model. Sell them whatever you and your really smart friends dream up on the living room couch. Four out of five of those businesses fail after they've gotten funding. That's after they've gotten funding from investors. Four out of five fail. And of course, not all businesses even get funding. So the failure rate really of startups in Silicon Valley is much, much higher than four out of five. But think about it. Let's say your idea is appealing to investors. And then you get venture capitalists to fund your business. Great. Now, they not only own your business, they own you. And you still have an 80% chance of working your ass off for somebody else and not making any money. Mm. How good does that sound? Or, Or listen to this. Here's an interesting statistic from the book Hitmakers by Derek Thompson. Apps. Smartphone apps. You know, an app, the effortless way to make millions and millions and millions of dollars with your genius idea. (laughs) Or is it? He says in his book that 60% of the app store revenues, in other words, the apps sold for the iPhone, come from 0.005% of companies. Okay, that's a little hard to parse that number. That's one in 50,000. Now, I'm not a regular gambler, but those sound like really long odds to me. So let's look at a better way, okay? Here's what works better. Duh. Selling people something they're actively aware that they already want and just offering a better version. So look, when you're skilled at direct marketing, when you're good at this, you can get about a one in five success rate with a sales letter, and that could be to a list of cold prospects. And remember, that one sales letter, that's not your whole business. If the sales letter fails, you still have a business. You may have to try something else, but it's only one promotion. And I would say one in five is a lot better than one in 50,000. And not only that, once you make your first sale, the odds improve from one in five to at least two in five, and maybe even better when you make a second offer to existing customers. And guess what? Doing it this way, you still get to own the product and the company and your own life if you want to, okay? So what's required? What's required is figuring out what people want and finding a better way to provide it to them. Better means faster or easier or cheaper or more convenient or any number of ways to make it more preferable to what's available that they know about now, and then reaching those people, and this is where copywriting comes in, right? Reaching those people with a series of compelling marketing messages. It sounds so simple, so obvious, so logical, but how many people actually do it? So I'm going to not really give you pushback, but I'm going to kind of maybe dive a little bit deeper into that. A lot of people become entrepreneurs 
because they want to follow their dream. They want to follow their passion. I want to make t-shirts. So I'm going to start a t-shirt company or I want to sell my paintings. So I'm going to start my own art studio. That's, I think that's the reason why is because there's, and I hate to say selfish, but they get into business to fulfill their own needs rather than to fulfill the needs of a marketplace. And I think that that's why they focus more on trying to push what they think other people need rather than what other people already know that they want. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that 100%. In fact, there's a guy, he's passed away. He was a mentor of mine and a friend, great guy, uh, Mac Ross. And he, he worked in direct marketing for big New York publishers. And then for entrepreneurs, he worked with J. Abraham for a while. And one day I was talking to Mac and he said, you know, a lot of people aren't really in business to make money. I said, really? He said, and he started to explain what they were doing about expressing their creative vision, just like you're talking about. And I said, oh, it's, it's almost like they're painters and the business itself is a Kansas. So yeah, everyone has a perfect right to do that, but don't start bitching about not making any money. <laughs> Well, and the thing is that I found is when you're working with a client like that, you have two problems to overcome in your copy. First, you have to educate the reader as to why they would want to buy something. And then you have to educate them as to why they should buy it from you. Whereas if you're writing copy for something that you already know there's a marketplace for, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that first hurdle. All you have to worry about is why should you buy it from me? You're, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, there are a lot of people I've found, uh, usually kind of willful people, maybe they're lucky people, maybe they're people of a lot of charisma, and they've never really tried to market something with advertising before, and they come into thinking they're going to rewrite the laws of nature. <laughs> they're they're going to change the law of gravity. They're going to make things float upward. And I mean, you know, w- without a wing or a prayer, <laughs> without a wing or a helium balloon. And occasionally they'll win, but the odds are so infinitesimal. And most of the people I see who do this end up falling on their face. So, you know, it's like it's possible. And, you know, uh, 50 miles to the south of me, even as we record this in 20. 20- 18, there's still a very active industry with billions of dollars being bet on these kind of businesses. I'm talking about Silicon Valley, right? But I wouldn't recommend it, and I don't want to do that myself. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. 
Now, back to the show. So I think that people people have the, the idea that they're going to start the next company that brings out the new iPhone or uh, people, I hear people quote um, Henry Ford a lot of, of times saying, Henry Ford said, well, if I would have asked the market what they want, they would have asked for a faster horse. And so people think, I'm just going to be a pioneer. And they don't realize that pioneers tend to come back with a back full of arrows. So <laughs> you've convinced me. I was, I was already sold on this before we started though. But for the people that are out there listening and they're like, okay, I'm not going to try and force people to buy something that they don't want. It's makes so, it makes so much more sense to sell them what they already want. How do people go about finding out what people already want so that you know what to sell them? Well, there's a couple ways. And they're, they're like, you know, open palm to the forehead, simple. Sometimes the best way is to see what they're already buying. You know, um, take a look at, you know, if they're all buying green tennis balls, um, how about an orange one, right? But to see what people are already buying, I know for an original thinker, a creative person says, well, that's just copying. That's not original. Um, yeah, well, you, you need to know what action people are taking with their money to find out what they want. And when you come up with an innovation, a, a new way of doing it, that's creative. That's original. You don't, you know, you don't have to invent a new planet or um, a new uh, element to breathe besides air or a new way of plants growing besides sunshine. You know, th- you can make incremental improvements and they can be huge and massive. But you, you see what people are buying. You know what action they're taking with their money. And then here, here's a key thing that a lot of people don't do, but the smart marketers do. You find out what people's complaints are, not about your product, but about the existing products or competitors, about other products that they're buying. And these days with reviews, it's pretty easy if you look around to find out what people are complaining about. And the best part of this is, well, it's never really fun to listen to people that complain, right? But people aren't shy about complaining. So, And they usually... You know, when they flatter you, it might be insincere. Complaints are usually very sincere. (laughs) Okay. So that's one way. See what people are buying. The second way is, before I get to the second way, there's one other thing I wanted to say about, about what people are buying. If you find complaints and you say, okay, so people can't find their, their tennis balls in, in the grass when they're throwing for their dog. So we're going to make them orange so that they'll, stick out visually and people will be able to find them. Make sure you highlight how you've eliminated that problem, how you've eliminated the reason that they were making complaints before in the new product in your marketing. Okay. That's, that's key. Otherwise this is a, this is a time when you do want to toot your own horn, beat your own drum, use a couple of great cliches. Okay. And then there's a second way. So the first way, see what people are. Second way is just pay attention to what people ask you for. Now, Nathan, I don't know if you remember, but you put up a blog, you put up a Facebook post about sell people what direct marketers do, sell people what they want. And one of our one of your commenters said this would be a great topic for a podcast. So that's where this came from. So thank you. I can't remember your name right now, commenter. Oh boy, I'm I'm not I'm never going to make it to 
the uh, Larry King or Alex Jones level. I can't remember callers' names. Thank you, caller. Thank you, first time. But an, another way is so you pay attention to what people ask for. This this podcast is a living, breathing example of that. And to quote the great Gary Halbert, when all else fails, give people what they want. So before I, I and I know that there's reasons why people don't do this and we've kind of touched on them before we get to that though i do want to bring up something I'm, and i'm going to credit ray edwards for this because he's the one that taught me this uh he taught me something called the open method and he said people are in different states of buying he said that uh people are either oblivious that would be the o they're pondering that would be the p they're engaged that would be the E and then they're in their needs and needs and want can kind of be interchangeable in this, in this particular example. But he said that if people are in the O stage oblivious, they have no idea. They, they don't know what you sell. They have no idea what they would need ever need it. If they're pondering, maybe they, they might be thinking about it. If they're engaged, they're actively looking for it. And if they need it, they're, they're willing to just hand over the money right now. Um, and he said that, uh, say you sell Advil, if you're trying to sell Advil to somebody who's never had a headache before, they're oblivious and you're going to have so much uphill push to make that sell that it's not even worth it. Same thing if they're just pondering, maybe they heard about somebody having a headache. It's really hard to sell them on some Advil. But if they're engaged, if they've got a headache right now, or they just had a headache, or they feel a headache coming on, or if they've got a migraine right now, um, if they're in the last two stages of the open acronym that they will buy. You don't even have to have very compelling copy at all. All you have to say is $5 and I'll sell you this bottle of Advil. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of comes down to this whole thing of, of people, their Advil salesmen and a lot of Advil salesmen out there are trying to sell Advil to people who have never had any kind of headache. I, I guess maybe in closing though, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that and even if you have a good product, if you're not selling it to people that actively want what you're selling, it doesn't even matter if your product's good because you're, you're selling it to the wrong people. Yeah. I mean, I love Ray and I, I love that model. And the thing about that model is it kind of assumes that the person who's accepting that model is, you know, accepts also that uh, you sell people what they want and they're just different or need in this case uh, want and need being the same word in this case, you know, they're just at different levels of awareness and readiness. But the, the oblivious person, uh, I mean, that model kind of assumes that eventually, I mean, eventually almost everyone gets a headache, right? Um, But, there are a lot of things. Eventually, everyone doesn't necessarily need or want your painting or your app or, you know, your, your business idea or uh, coffee that you can drink underwater while you're scuba diving. You know, I mean, but somebody might say, God, I was scuba diving. I really want, want a shot at Joe. So I, well, okay, you did that one time. You may never even want it again. And maybe nobody else does. So, yeah, I, I think that's really good. It, that's like what you're talking about there. That's like stage two. And I, I really like that open. It's, I think, a lot easier to memorize and, and grasp and apply than some of Gene Schwartz's models of, of market 
uh, stages of market and in prospect awareness. Uh, but because uh, uh, this one just gets right right down to the nub quickly. But that's like stage two. Stage one is sort of accepting. Okay, you need to start with the market wants. Mm. Okay. I mean, you know, try try going to uh, some super smart guy who got like twenty. 800 on SATs when it's only possible to get 2,400 and he's in Silicon Valley and he can actually calculate the value of pi to, you know, 300 digits in his head. And he's coming up with an app. Try telling him that. See how far you get. Right. <laughs> True. So what are the things that get in the way? You've made a very compelling argument, but I think that there's some people out there that probably would still be pushing back and, and saying, I don't know if I agree with David on this. What would, what would cause that lack of faith? Well, you know, if someone doesn't agree, I mean, that's okay. Find out for yourself. But if you're, if you're open to finding out how uh, you could do this and what might be in the way, there are a couple of things. One is lack of what I call marketing realism. See, there's this thing called magical thinking. We all do it. Creative people do it. Songwriters do it. Um, producers do it. Podcast experts do it. Copywriters do it. And it's wonderful for fantasy. It's also wonderful for coming up with new creative ideas, but it has its limits because magical thinking is death for planning your business it's death for marketing. It's great for envisioning where you want to go, but when you're actually trying to implement some stuff in reality to make money, it's death. It's death for marketing. It's a terrible way to try and put the odds on your side when you're running a business. It's like going into a casino and say, I'm going to use the power of my thinking to make this slot machine pay me. And, you know, uh, several thousand dollars later, you found out that didn't work too well. Okay. So marketing realism means taking an objective, factual look at who your market is and what they really want, and then acting accordingly. And here's a key point. It means, yeah, you got to be stubborn as an entrepreneur. You, you got to be committed and determined. But Marketing realism means not being so willful that you drive down the wrong road just because you're determined to go down that road. When you're dealing with other people, your customers and their beliefs, and their wants come out of their beliefs. And one of the hardest things in the world to do is to change people's beliefs, especially a group of people, which would be your market. So don't do that. Operate from a position of marketing realism. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that gets in the way is lack of marketing maturity. Now, listen, I know when you first discover copywriting, direct marketing copywriting, it really seems like magic. You get almost this childlike giddiness that suddenly you have superpowers and you can sell anything to anybody. Just write free now, push this button, click here. Well, here's the reality check. Uh -uh. You don't have superpowers. You can't sell anything to 
anyone. Here's what it means. Marketing maturity means understanding that direct marketing is really a very scientific and systematic process, which includes large helpings of creativity, which can be very childlike at times, in order to find the best way to make it work. So that's how you should approach it. You should approach writing copy like a grown-up while still having the childlike fun with the creativity and all the freedom it accords you both in your work and in your life. Do that, and you'll do a lot better than relying on magical thinking. Nice. So if people want to put the odds on their side, what's, uh, what's the number one takeaway they should take back from listening to this episode? Yeah. I mean, to put the odds on your side, start selling people what they want. Nice. All right, David, another fantastic episode. Uh, do, we have, do we have any idea what we're going to be coming up with next week? Not yet, but um, we'll know at the time. Okay, sweet. All right, David, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. See you then. Bye. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.